We'll turn to this remarkable psalm, Psalm 8. I well remember when I was in school, our English master reading it in a school assembly and extolling its virtues. It is a remarkable psalm and one in which I think we can all rejoice and identify with. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, it begins. And then the psalmist David reminds us that he considered the heavens when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers. He did something that many people don't do. He considered, reflected, thought about the universe. And it filled him with wonder and amazement. And we are meant to do the same. Consider. Consider this building. Years ago, it was designed by an architect and builders erected it. And here we are in it, in a warm and comfortable environment, even though you're sitting on pews, which are not always the most comfortable of seats to sit on. Consider how you might have come here this morning. I take it that many of us will have come by car. How did that car come to be built? Did raw materials produce steel and rubber and glass over a period of millions of years? Did the fabric in the car gradually evolve? Did these raw materials take different shapes and sizes? Did holes appear in the right places? Did the upholstery weave itself together? Did threads develop? Did those threads attach themselves to a, a bolt? Did the bolt fit into a nut? Did an engine develop over many, many years of itself? Did that engine attach itself to the body of the car? fill itself with fuel and ignite? And have all these varieties of vehicles developed in that particular way over countless millions and millions of years so that there are different models, different shapes, different sizes to your cars? And you came in one this morning? Is that what happened? Uh, consider yourself. Did a single cell emerge out of some primeval, primordial soup? Did that cell divide? Have all the bewildering varieties of creatures formed themselves from a single cell? How did your amazing brain come into being? So that you're now self-conscious, you stand erect, you can speak a language or languages. Consider yourself. Consider the universe, which David did. He would have spent hours gazing at the night sky. 
Where did all the gases come from? How did they solidify? How did the Earth find itself to be at exactly the right angle to the sun and to the moon? Listen to David. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, as he thought, as he considered, he broke into a song of praise to God. The name he sings about, the glory that he speaks about, belongs to God. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. O Lord, our Lord. David not only has come to a conviction about the being and the existence of God, the designer, and the architect, and the builder, but he's come to know him personally, our Lord. We imagine that atheism is modern, but God's enemies existed then. God's answer to his enemies is a marvelous one. Out of the mouths of babies and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. Think of the chuckling and the laughing of a little baby in the care of that baby's parents. The delight, the happiness, the joy. We are privileged now to have a great grandson, and he's a happy little boy, bringing delight to us all. He's a message to us. The children reminded of, it, of us this morning in their verse, unless you become like little children. Not except you become little children, except you become like little children, that childlike trust and confidence. The child has to be washed and clothed and cared for and loved and fed and named. All of that is done for the child. And out of the mouths of babies and nursing infants, God has ordained strength because of his enemies. There is something there that arrests our attention and makes us aware that we are not alone on this planet and that we have a creator God and he provides for us and he's done incredibly wonderful things for us. So as David considered, reflected, he asks this question, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? It's a profound question. What is man? Who am I? Why do I exist? Do I have any significance in this vast universe? Does my life have any meaning? What is it all about? And David came to two conclusions. God is mindful of us, and God has visited us. Now, those are two glorious realities. God has been mindful of us. He created human beings in his image. 
male and female, with a mind to know God, with a heart to love God, with a will to obey God. And God gave mankind a special place in creation. David speaks about it. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. God has honored human beings in a very special way. He's given authority to human beings to care for their environment, to care for the creation, to be stewards of this world in which we live, to govern it wisely and to govern the creatures wisely, to act with a sense of responsibility. But things went so badly wrong, didn't they? We read earlier on in the service from that great second chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, where these verses are quoted. And the writer says, in that he, that is God, put in subjection everything, he left nothing that is not put under him, that is man. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. And that's certainly true. Human beings are not functioning as they should. They're not caring for creation as they should. They don't look after their bodies as they should. They don't interrelate to one another as they should. And certainly they don't love God as they should. Look at the world today. Think of the last century. We've just been celebrating D-Day when thousands of men lost their lives in order to secure freedom. Think of the Holocaust, an unbelievable human atrocity. Think of Stalin's purge of the Russian peasantry. Think of Pol Pot. Today people are concerned about climate change and a new Cold War. And we're living in an age where there's a new kind of warfare with what people have called geeks and spoofs and thugs. The geeks, the intelligentia, the spoofs invading our privacy with technology and reading what's going on in our computers. And the thugs who are sent at a moment's notice to try and deal with a horrible situation. That's the kind of world it is. Think of yourself. There's a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde in every one of us. There's a dark side to the moon. We seem to be very pleasant, very kind, until we are crossed. Until someone disagrees with us. Then it's all so very different. We build intensive care wards and hydrogen bombs. We erect cathedrals and run concentration camps. What is man? Well, man has clearly forgotten God and lost his way. We've lost a sense of the purpose of life, what it's all about. We are basically self-centered people, self-righteous and selfish. That's what we are like. And we are meant to keep God's rules, to know him, to love him, to obey him. But we don't. 
We need to be restrained. We need government. We need a police force. We need an army. Or we'll run riot. We want what we want when we want it. C.S. Lewis speaks about a broken-down old crock of a motor car traveling along a motorway. The car is clearly in need of urgent repair. The driver keeps colliding with other cars on the motorway, and he's taking the car in the wrong direction. That's his picture of us, moving in the wrong direction away from God, colliding with other people and hurting people, unable to live in a home, unable to retain the kind of commitment that we promised in marriage, hurting our children, hurting each other, and then we are broken down people. We are all, to one degree or another, abnormal. That's the human race. That's us. The Bible is very honest about it, and... We need a touch of honesty today. So isn't it an amazing thing that God, whom we have rejected, has not rejected us? That he has been mindful of us and is mindful of us. This is amazing. God has been mindful of us in two supreme ways. There are many others, of course. He's mindful of us in his common goodness to all human beings. If you read the book of Genesis carefully, you will find that God's care and love is given to an Ishmael and an Esau, as well as a child of the covenant. God is good to all human beings. But in two supreme ways, God has been mindful of him, us all. He has given us his own beloved son, the one who has shared from all eternity past deity with the Father, the one who is fully God, the one who is the Son of God, the one who is divine. He has given us his son, his only son, his beloved son. And That means that God has actually visited us in person. He's been here. He's been to our planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ was eternally the Son of God, but he added to his deity humanity. He became a human person with a real human body and a real human soul. So... He's lived here. He's breathed the air we breathe. He's walked under the sun we walk under. He's felt the rain we feel. And that life he lived here for 33 years was perfect, unlike ours. It was untarnished, untainted by any kind of evil or evil intention or evil thought or evil attitude. His life was the perfect life. And when he was here, what did he do? He taught, he healed, he raised the dead, he cared for the sick. He was full of compassion. All that exuded from his personality was love and compassion for others. As 
there ever been a person like that? There have been many famous people, many great people, many geniuses like a Beethoven or a Leonardo da Vinci or a Shakespeare. But nobody like Jesus, nobody to compare with him because he came down from heaven to earth whereas these other geniuses have been produced by earth. He is the prophet and the priest and the king supreme. There is no comparison we can make between him and anybody else. And this perfect son of God who became a human person for us did so in order to redeem us, in, did so in order to die for us, to take our place where we really are as condemned and guilty sinners before a holy and a righteous God. He's been into that very place. He's been into the hell of divine wrath. He's been into the anguish and into the horror of crucifixion as the substitute for people like you and me who hate him, who defy him, who despise him, who forget him, who never thank him for his unchanging goodness. And he died our death. He's been into that horrible experience of darkness and dereliction and separation from the love of God as a conscious reality that he might bear the wrath of God, his own wrath for sinners like you and me. The writer to the Hebrews put it wonderfully, we do not yet see all things put under him, that is, human beings, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. He is the one to whom we look. He is the one who cannot be compared with any other. And not only did he come to die for us, but he's entered into a tomb. He came into the world in a womb. He entered into a tomb. And in that tomb, he was buried. Jesus has been into the very darkest places into the very seat of horror and death and hell for us. So he's actually been buried. He knows what it is to die, and he knows what it is to be buried. But they couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Up from the grave, he arose. Here is the great triumph of the gospel. If you read the book of Acts, you will come across verses like this. With great power they gave witness to Jesus and the resurrection. There was something about the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus himself, the risen Lord, that the Holy Spirit empowered. And these men preached in a way that was extraordinary. They spoke about somebody they knew. They were there. They were eyewitnesses. They'd seen the risen Lord. He'd been with them over a 40-day period. They'd seen his hands and his feet. They'd seen his wounds. They knew he was alive, bodily alive, not in some kind of spirit world, but a bodily, gloriously changed bodily existence that he now has for eternity. He arose out of death. He conquered it. He overcame it. He bewildered it. 
And then he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the glorious Father in the triune glory of the Godhead and sits there and sends help to us and comforts us and is with us through our trials and tribulations, supporting us, succoring us, granting us the Holy Spirit, being with us when we are ill, being with us when we are lonely, being with us when we are exhausted, being with us when we are bereaved. I am with you. And he's going to come again in glorious victory, in power. And every eye will see him and every tongue will confess him to be Lord. And every knee will bow to him. What is man that you have been mindful of him? The glory of the Christian message is found there. God has been mindful of us. And he's visited us. He's visited us in the person of his beloved son. Now the same God who has visited us still visits us. He visited Saul of Tarsus in a very spectacular way on the road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus describes himself in one of his letters as a blasphemer, as a persecutor of the church, and as injurious. What he meant by that was that he rejected and hated Jesus Christ. He professed to believe in God, but he hated God's Son. That's blasphemy to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's blasphemy. I was a blasphemer, says Paul. I was a persecutor of the church. I not only hated God and his Son by rejecting his Son, but I hated the church. These Christian people, they offended me. I disliked them. I hated them. I wanted them removed from the face of the earth. I didn't like their message. I didn't like them. I wish they'd be quiet. These Christian people, so I'm going to make sure they are going to be quiet. And he imprisoned them. I was injurious, he says. I was against others. I didn't want other people to profess this Christian faith. I didn't want them to come to know this Son of God whom they said that they knew. So I was against God. I was against his people, I was against the world. But wonderfully, wonderfully, Jesus Christ, the Son of God whom I hated, saved me. He loved me. He gave himself for me. And he opened my eyes. This, said Paul to young Timothy, is a faithful saying and worthy to be accepted that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He visited him. God visited him. Has he visited you? Do you know what it is to be stirred and moved in your conscience when you failed, when you sinned? Do you know what it is to acknowledge him to be the Lord God against whom you have sinned? Has he visited us in awakening us and in giving us a spiritual concern about our souls, about eternity? Well, he does. He visits us. Has he visited you in the preaching of the word, in the reading of the Bible, in a tract, in a hymn, in a person, in an event, in a bereavement, in a sorrow, in a sadness? Has he visited you? 
One of our greatest exponents of the history of civilization was a man called Lord Kenneth Clark. Those of us who are older may remember his series on television about civilization. They want to repeat it and show it again today. Lord Kenneth Clark was an atheist, a supreme man in the history of civilization and the interpreting of civilization. And one day, the atheist in a church in San Lorenzo had an experience of God. He knew it was God. He said it had nothing to do with the beauty of the building. I found myself weeping. I knew the finger of God had touched me. I began to understand something of the joys of the saints. But, he said, it posed a very difficult problem for me. My life would have to change. And I was unwilling for it to change. And I allowed the memory of the experience to fade away. He would have to tell his atheistic colleagues, God has visited me. I know something of the finger of God upon me. And he couldn't do that. He wasn't willing to swallow his pride. He wasn't willing to acknowledge that he'd had a visitation of God. How sad, how tragic. Shakespeare wrote about it, didn't he? There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all our lives are spent in shallows and in miseries. When the tide comes in, take it. When the finger of God touches you, respond. When Jesus Christ visits you, come to him, turn to him. Don't turn away. He still visits us because the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven has given the Holy Spirit to his people. And he's the spirit of truth and the spirit of life and the spirit of love and light. And he comes to us. He awakens us wonderfully. It may not happen dramatically. It may happen very gradually. Jesus likened the work of the Holy Spirit to the wind. He said, if you're going to be born, you are to be born of water and the Spirit, and the wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes to. It's like that with somebody born of the Spirit, Jesus said. What do you think of the wind for a minute? I mentioned to the children about that hurricane that hit the coast of Wales in 1859. It killed over 800 people throughout the United Kingdom. There are hurricanes. Some people become Christians under the influence of a hurricane. They're almost blasted into the kingdom, struggling, full of a hostility to God. But the wind is blowing. And then there are people who come to know God rather like the influence of a gale, which, which blows and it subsides and it blows and it subsides. And they go through a series of crises like John Newton. And eventually, they come to Jesus Christ. But then there are other people. And the wind is like a breeze. Slowly, gradually, gently, we are brought into the family and kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how it happens. So long as it happens. 
there's this double light that the Holy Spirit sheds. Light upon the truth so you can see the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of the gospel and then light in your mind and in your eyes so you can see what is there to be seen. This double light, what one great English theologian called the external testimony of the Holy Spirit and the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Here is light shining all around me and I can I can now appreciate the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus, because my eyes have been opened to the Holy Spirit. God comes to us. He calls us. He awakens us. He draws near to us. He convicts and he converts us today. Now, has that happened to you? When it does, everything changes. We are told what to do. We are told to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. When he draws near to him, we are to call upon his name. Lord, I'm coming to you. Lord, you've spoken to me. Lord, I'm coming as I am. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to put on airs and graces. I'm coming as I am, a poor sinner. And I'm coming to Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting in him and in his merit and in his blood and in his life-giving power that he might save me from death and hell and take me to glory and give me a new appetite for your word and remake me in his image. We are to come to him. He comes to us. We are to come to him. We are to get down on our knees and plead with him, Lord, save me. I believe your word. Lord, save me. And believing his word, he will. So we are no longer enemies then. We become his friends. We know the love and the care of a creator God and a redeemer. We are restored partially into the image of Christ and one day fully. And we begin to live on another plane of existence. Our Father in heaven. That's God's plane of existence. We live on earth. That's our plane of existence. But we now begin to live on another plane than the earth. We begin to live on the heavenly plane There's a wonderful change that has taken place. So with David, we can cry out, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? But God does do that. And it's a marvelous, wonderful thing that he should. So may we cry out with David. May we live a life of worship and adoration and praise to the great God who has not only been mindful of us, but visited us. And may we know what it is, humbly, to come before his feet and to receive all that he has to give to us in his beloved Son through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord and our righteousness.